You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back for those of you who are in person and online for another week of our most recent sermon series. You can see by way of your screens entitled, Thou Shalt Not. Thou Shalt Not. It's a sermon series uh, whereby over the course of the next six weeks, uh, we are going to revisit all of the Christian rules that were prescribed to us at one point or another, either explicitly or implicitly, in Christian settings. If you've been spent any time in church before, you know that there's rules that pop up about what kind of music you can listen to and what kind of movies you can watch and how you can dress and who you can date and how to date. And those of you who have had this experience and heard some of these rules uh, before, you know uh, that some of them appear man-made, not God-made. They appear as if uh, that particular church or that that particular leadership in that church said, this is what God wants, but you will struggle to find much of Jesus in it. You had this experience before? You've heard these before? Been confronted with this before? And so the whole goal of this sermon series, the whole goal of this sermon series is, sure, we're going to talk about the rules, but the sort of underlying purpose of this is, especially in nowadays where it's hard to sort of figure out how to define morality, what is right, what is wrong. Everybody's got an opinion on it. And so the whole goal of this sermon series is to set aside, not necessarily to pay less attention to what humans think, what's right, what's wrong, and to really try to get to the heart of what Jesus thinks. How does Jesus define what's good, what's bad, what's pleasing, what's not? And so today, uh, we're going to continue with uh, yet another topic, another rule. We've done two so far, two so far. So if you've missed this, if you're tuning in for the very first time, we've already done two of these. Uh, Week one, we talked about, uh, do I have to go to church to be a good Christian? And so that was week one. Week two was, uh, can I drink alcohol and still be a good Christian? So Pastor Amanda did that one for us. Bottoms up, baby. Um, And so uh, go and listen to either one of those. uh, If those uh, are part of your story or questions you've always had about who God is and what you're allowed versus not allowed to do. Today what we're going to do is we're going to tackle yet another one. We're going to tackle yet another one. And this is another one that definitely shows up both uh, explicitly and implicitly in some sub-Christian cultures. Today what we're going to talk about is in order to be a good Christian, what do I have to wear? Rules about my appearance. How do I show up in the world? For example, am I allowed to be a Christian if I have a tattoo or if I don't dress uh, sort of like, you know, very, very, very sort of very strictly? And so, like, what, what are the rules on appearance? Now, you might roll your eyes at that, but the fact of the matter is, is that, if, again, if you spent any time in church, you know that there's a lot of this talk that shows up in Christian cultures, right? True story. I I worked at a camp while I was in college uh, that required me to sign a contract. So I had to sign a contract, not only agreeing to like the pay and whatever, but I had to sign a a sort of like Christian behavior contract, they called it. And uh, they were all, it was a bunch of rules on my appearance. While I was at camp, I was going to maintain at all times a classic hairstyle. (laughs) 
not entirely sure uh, what that means. Um, all of my clothes cannot be torn or ripped. So like all the Abercrombie American Eagle stuff, like can't do none of that. It's gotta be like classic and good. Girls had it so much worse. Uh, girls uh, who worked at the camp had to either wear a one-piece when they were on the uh, when they were at the pool, or had to wear a T-shirt uh, over their bathing suits, which just created an awkward experience for everyone. And then thirdly, uh, finally, the the last one. This was the this is the like most staunch one that I can remember. That if you came to camp and you worked at this camp and you had a tattoo, it had to be covered at all times. And you had two options. Two options. You could either cover it with clothing, or you could cover it with a marker. There were some weeks where it looked like a bunch of kids just accessed the like magic marker box of their school and just like drew all over themselves because they had tattoos all over their arms, all over their legs, right? How in the world was that any better than just having their tattoos proudly displayed for everyone to see? I will tell you though, the one redeeming moment of the whole experience, the, whole, the only redeeming moment of the whole experience is one time, uh, one week we had this camper come who was tattooed from head to foot, had full sleeves, both legs, all the way down. And his counselor was so moved, did not want him to feel isolated, didn't want him to feel alone. And so every single day for a week, the counselor would get up early and he would take a big old marker and he would draw all over his body. And it sounds silly, but it was beautiful. And it was just sort of like an indictment on the whole thing. Like, what in the world are we doing here? Why is that the focus? Why is that the very first impression these campers are having in their introduction to the Christian life? Now, again, you can be as annoyed as I am uh, that the fact that these rules show up in youth groups and in churches and in camps. But the fact of the matter is, is that many of these rules that we've prescribed to one another on our appearance have biblical foundations. Or, you know, you can read the Bible in a certain way to justify these rules. For example, did you know that in Leviticus it says this, uh, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put marks on yourselves for I am the Lord. This is where some people get their biblical foundation for why you can't make tattoo, why you can't uh, get a tattoo, why you shouldn't uh, put tattoos on your body. But there's, they're wide encompassing, right? There's even more. There's like 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, don't make yourselves beautiful on the outside with stylish hair or by wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. Did you get ready uh, this morning for Mother's Day celebrations happening later today? Mm-mm-mm. Um, it, there's, and there's more, right? So and the, uh, Paul writes this uh, to Timothy. He says, in the same way, I want women to enhance their appearance with clothing that is modest and sensible, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, and expensive clothes. They should make themselves attractive by doing good which is appropriate for women who claim to honor God. So what is it? What is it, right? On a scale of little deal, medium deal, and big deal, how much does God actually care about how we appear and portray ourselves in the world? And I actually think these are the categories. These are the categories. I think uh, these categories we need to apply not only to this conversation, but I ask these questions of every arena of my life. All the things that I've been prescribed in the name of Jesus. I try to figure out where does it actually belong. And friends, what happens when you do this, when you do this exercise with this whole conversation on our appearance you'll find that while Christians might put it in some, some Christians, some churches might put it in the big deal bucket. When it comes to God, 
I, for the life of me, can't see why it would be anything other than a little deal. How do I know that? Well, for starters, there is not one single instance in the entire Gospels uh, where Jesus criticizes someone else on an account of their appearance. Not one. Lord knows he could have. First time Peter walked out of the house looking like this. (laughs) You know he could have. I can't be seen with you. Back inside. (laughs) Not one single time do you find Jesus criticizing persons or excluding persons on an account of how they were dressed, what their skin looked like, what their hair looked like. And secondly, the other problem with so many of these rules, and this is, the, this is a big one, uh, the, the other big issue with so many of these rules is that if you read them and you read them and study them in context, you study them in the context of the Bible, what you find is that so many of these rules appear cultural rather than theological. You know what I mean by that? Many of these rules, you just heard a number of them. They sort of, uh, they connect with and they resonate with Uh, And they're a display of maybe the cultural or the societal sort of norms of the day. Take, for example, all those passages you just heard about how women ought to dress. There weren't any passages in that same scripture talking about how men were supposed to do it. That's cultural. That's cultural to that time. And so you've got all these cultural things that not only uh, has uh, sort of We've outlived that, but Jesus sort of flies in the face of. So, for example, did you know that there's that passage that says that you're not allowed to get tattoos, and yet Jesus himself has a tattoo, we are told. In Revelation 19, verse 16, how many of you knew this? That he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. Sounds painful, but on his thigh, Jesus got the tattoo, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So, in the life to come, in the midst of all the questions that you have to ask Jesus, if at any point in the conversation you ask him to lift his robe a little, you might see somewhere, we don't know where on the thigh, but somewhere on the thigh appear these words. And so, in the midst of not only scripture, but this conversation around, you know, what are the things that ultimately matter the most to God, matter the least to God, where is appearance and how we show up in the world. Where is that on God's radar? And thankfully for us, our scripture passage for today has some more to teach us. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, go ahead and return to the passage that Julie just read a couple moments ago, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. If you're watching this online, feel free to have it handy on a smart device or something to track along with us. Romans chapter 12 is one of the early letters that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And what I love so much about his, his teaching here is he's talking about this very thing. He's talking about this very thing. And now he starts in chapter 12 is with a sort of stark reminder of this entire conversation on morality. So not just about appearance, but morality writ large. Paul says this. He says, when it comes to sort of how you're trying to define what is of God, what is not of God, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your Minds. And so on this larger topic on morality, even Paul is saying this. Paul is saying there's going to be moments when how culture defines right and wrong and how God defines it line up. And there's going to be a bunch of other ones where it doesn't. And your job as a follower of Jesus is to tease out, to do the work to figure out what is actually of Jesus and what is just of 
Jesus' people. Catch the difference? Catch the difference? But then he goes on. He goes on and he talks about the body specifically. And I love this so much because what he says here in Romans chapter 12, although it's not very like evolution, it's not, it's not really evolved for us here today in 2022, this would have been very, very provocative for Paul to say back in the first century. He says this. He says, so when you figure out God's will, you can do what's good and pleasing and mature. And back up to verse 1, what he says is he says, the way in which you and I worship God. The way in which you and I sh- tr- like truly, truly worship God is not just with our minds. It's not just with our hearts. What does he say? He says, you are to offer your bodies to God as a holy and pleasing sacrifice. Paul is saying actually something really counter to what many of the first century spiritual people would have believed. They'd have been like, oh, yeah, when I go to worship, it's just sort of like a, it's a head exercise or it's a heart exercise or it's just me and my spirit and my soul but Paul's like, no, 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 dude, like it's, it's embodied. It's, it's where and when and how you show up in the world. That's your real worship. That's what it actually means something to the kingdom of God. And so it seems to me that if this is what Paul is saying, that true worship is an embodied thing, we do with every bit of who we, what we've got. Jesus says this too, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, every bit of it. If that's true, then I have no interest spending the rest of this sermon sort of parsing out what we as Christians are allowed to wear versus what we're not allowed to wear. Instead, I want to ask a much bigger question, a much bigger question, which is this. How is my appearance, how is my showing up in the world affecting the world? What kind of effect is my presence in this relationship with this person? What kind of impact is it having on the world writ large? And when we're talking about appearance in 2022, you also, while we're making these conversations bigger, you got to expand that conversation to include not just your physical appearance, but your professional, how you appear professionally to your work colleagues, to your boss, to your clients. Uh, socially, how you show up and how you are embodied in social and relationships, and also virtually. Whether we're aware of it or not, if you have a social media account, you are putting a persona out into the world. And the question we as Christians need to be asking is if true worship is an embodied thing, is what kind of impact is that image of me having on the world? having on the people, the pockets, the places in which I have influence. Who are they seeing when they see me? What do they see when they see me? Now, this is the, way, this is the tool I use. You can use whatever tool you want. But the tool that I use whenever I'm asking that question is typically it's one of three things. It's one of three things. So whenever I'm asking myself the question of like, what kind of impact is my appearance or me showing up in the world having on the kingdom of God, on, the, on, on God's people, it normally falls into one of three camps. So the same thing applies to our appearance and how we show up in the world, both physically, virtually, you name it. That how we show up in the world has, sometimes it has a negative impact, a negative effect on what God's trying to do, a negative impact on the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, probably the most common example is how you dress and how you show up in the world is going to have a neutral effect. It's not helping or hurting. And then thirdly, 
Hopefully, we're also thinking about and we're praying about and we're discerning ways to find so we can show up in the world, have a positive impact, a positive effect on the work that God is doing. So let's break these down one at a time. Let's start with the negative. Let's start with the negative. The first responsibility you and I have as Christians is to make sure that how we show up in the world, how we show up in the world, and again, I want you to think creatively this morning. Don't just think about your dress. Think about how you decorate your house, how you decorate your office, what bumper stickers you put on your car, what things you post, what things you share on social media. All of these things are your appearance to the world. And the responsibility you and I have as Christians, first and foremost, is to avoid having a negative effect on the kingdom of God. Now, how could that happen? Well, sometimes, sometimes, how we show up in the world When we create a negative effect, what we're doing is we're showing up in the world in such a way that either, A, pushes people farther away from Jesus. If you want to have a negative impact upon the kingdom of God, show up in the world in a way that pushes people away from Jesus or reinforces negative assumptions, negative caricatures as to what the Christian religion is all about. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, Barna, which is a Christian research group, came out with a study, and they researched a bunch of folks outside the church. So these are non-believers, these are non-practicing Christians, and they asked them, they said, tell us what are the top adjectives, the top descriptions that you would use to describe people inside the church, and this is what came back. The two things that people outside of this place think of most, think of the fastest when it comes to you and me, is oh, those Christians, they're just narrow-minded and they're homophobic. God, of all the things in the world to be known for, that's the first thing that comes to mind. So what that means, friends, and I actually, I came across this study a couple of years ago, um, and I'd been sort of stewing on it ever since, but what this means For my life practically, what it means, I think, for our lives practically is that if that is the situation, then we've got to start thinking really, really strategically about how we show up in the world so as to not have a further negative impact upon what God is trying to do in the world. And this took place for me a couple years ago. A couple years ago, uh, here in Apex, we hosted our very first Pride Festival. Some of you uh, maybe went to that or you're aware of this. I took my kids. And... um, I remember when I showed, before we left the house, uh, I made a strategic decision. I said, you can't really see it uh, because the picture is kind of buried, but I made a strategic decision when I left the house to wear one of our church shirts to the Pride Festival. And I'll never forget having sort of like two really, really sad realizations uh, when I went to this. Don't get me wrong, it was beautiful, it was wonderful, it was uh, just an amazing event. But the two sad things I had were when I was walking up to the festival, I was still like 50 or 60 yards away. What was really sad to me was one of the first thoughts that came to my mind is, oh, I hope I don't scare them with my shirt. I hope they don't see me coming and see the word church embrace themselves. That's sad to me because that thought crossed my mind. It was also sad to me and beautiful at the same time the countless amount of people who came up to me and said, You're, um, are you here on purpose? <laughs> then they learned I was a pastor 
And they're like, oh, yeah, you, you really got turned around. Um, the churches are like that way and that way. Um, you got, I think you got turned around. It was beautiful yet incredibly sad that people were shocked to see the people of God at a place like that. Please hear me. Please. Please hear me. If you sign up to follow Jesus, if you sign up to be a part of this kingdom thing that he's doing, whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're even really comfortable with it or not, you're an ambassador, Scripture says. You represent something. You represent someone. And so the question you and I have to be asking all the time is who? What kind of picture am I painting of this Jesus? Who? What kind of Jesus? What type of Jesus are they running into when they run into me? Do they see him at all? Which leads to the next one. So again, uh, we, I, I talked about these three, sort of, um, these three sort of categories of negative, neutral, and positive impact upon the kingdom of God. The second one, uh, the second thing, in addition to avoiding having a negative impact upon the kingdom of God, the other way in which, the other thing that we have to do in this conversation is think about and make sure we're strategically making plans so that how we show up in the world um, doesn't always just fall into a neutral impact. Now again, probably most of the decisions you're going to make regarding your appearance probably fall into that neutral camp, right? They probably fall into that neutral camp. So for example, if you're walking around uh, in these, if you're walking around in these, listen, you might be offending all of us and making all of us uncomfortable. It's, there's something unnatural about those shoes that I can see your feet but I can't see your feet in the, cre- in the cracks of it. Anyway, you might be offending humanity. But it's a neutral decision as it relates to the kingdom of God, is it not? It's a neutral decision. You're not helping, you're not hurting God's mission. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about a neutral impact. And many of the decisions you and I make on our appearance and how we show up in the world, they're going to have a neutral impact. And there's no problem with that. There's no problem with that. You and I don't need to leave this building and start hyper sort of script like, I wonder what pair of socks Jesus wants me to wear today. Lord. Like, that's not the type of life God's calling us to live. However, where we do need to be careful, where we do need to be careful, is that we don't end up making so many neutral decisions that our lives start having a neutral impact upon the kingdom of God. You catch that? You can make neutral Switzerland-type decisions, and it's fine if you make it one, two, three, four, but if you make a life of them, then your life itself, it's not hurting the kingdom of God, maybe, but it sure as heck ain't helping. And that's a problem. Jesus talks about this. Jesus, in one of his parables, he talks about the parable of the talents. He says there's this one story of a master who gave to his servants uh, coins, gave him uh, talents, gave them uh, resources to use to advance the kingdom of God. And some people multiplied them. Some people invested them. Some people made more. And one dude said, I was afraid, so I buried mine in the ground. And he gets punished for it. It's not enough. 
Jesus says, it's not enough to take the gift of life and grace that I have given you and to bury it in the ground. It ain't enough. You've got to do something with it. You've got to do something with it. The problem with only making neutral decisions with how you show up in the world is eventually, sure, you might not be hurting the kingdom of God, but because you're not helping the kingdom of God, in reality, if you're really honest with yourself, only making neutral decisions with your life is actually just serving you. So how do I fix it? One of my tools that I use uh, is this. So um, sometimes I will do this with actual pen and paper. Sometimes I just do it, you know, while I'm talking to Jesus and out for a walk or what have you. But I, I use sort of like an invoice sort of spirituality. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. One of the things, one of the big shifts I've made in my own spirituality is I've stopped judging myself based off of every single item. Instead, what I've started doing is I've started paying attention less to like all the individual decisions I make and I'm starting to make decisions and I'm starting to do some evaluation on the subtotal of my life. So I have periods of my life. I have periods every week, periods uh, every month where I look reflectively back and I say, okay, sure, I made a lot of selfish decisions. Sure, I made a lot of neutral decisions, but what is the net total? What is the subtotal of what I'm doing and how I'm living? And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Because, friends, there's nothing wrong with leaving here today. And if you hit a weight loss goal or you hit a new PR at the gym, lifting and such, you get new shoes and you want to show them off to your friends, like, that's part of being alive. Like, that's part of experiencing the joy of what it means to be a human. The only question we need to be asking is when we're doing these things, when we're paying attention to our appearance on that level, eventually, who am I pointing to? Who am I pointing to? When I make all these conscious decisions about how I want to show up and how I want to appear to this person, these people groups, to to that particular subset of people, who am I pointing to? Is it all about me, trying to attract attention for me? Or am I trying to point people to something, to someone else? Which leads to the last one. The final question I think we need to ask when it comes to how we show up in the world, how we portray ourselves to the world, is not only how do I avoid making a negative impact, how do I make sure I don't only have a neutral impact, so much so that I end up with a neutral life, not helping Jesus whatsoever. The third and final question we need to ask, the most important question to ask, is how do I make sure that how I show up in the world has a positive impact upon the kingdom of God? How do I make sure that how I show up and where I show up has a positive impact upon the mission that Jesus has for the world? How do I make sure that I'm not only not not turning people off to faith, but at the very least I'm creating some curiosity in them to learn more about who this Jesus is and what this Jesus is like? And before you run out of here and just say, okay, I know what to do. I'm just going to Christian brand myself from head to foot with Jesus hats and Jesus shirts and Jesus pants. Please actually, for the life of me, do not do that. I'm a pastor, so kind of like a professional Christian, and I'm scared of those people. (laughs) And it's also not helpful given the context that we inhabit. Friends, it's really, really important that we as Christians here in 2022 understand the religious and spiritual context that we are inhabiting. It looks like this. 
This is actually, when you go out into the world, this is, uh, you know, I've read a bunch of studies this week and made like a sort of compiled one that's like, these are the averages. But when you go out into the world after this, this is who you're running into. This is where people are, by and large, spiritually, as it relates to the kingdom of God and Jesus. You've got hyper-Christians out there, 25%, maybe one in four people you run into are like, yep, team Jesus all the way, got tattoos, got it all, it's awesome. And then you've got 15% of people who are non-religious, people who are on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, want nothing to do with it, never going to step foot in a church anytime soon, were hurt and burned by church and thus are just have tossed it away, or just never really saw the value, never really saw it being of any benefit to their life. And then, look on the left side, the vast majority, the vast majority, and this definitely connects with my own experience, the vast majority of people that you encounter out in the world will be nominal and different to the whole Jesus faith Christian thing. And so if this is the world that we're stepping out into, then we need to show up in such a way that does the types of things that Jesus is trying to do in each of those communities. For example, if you watch Jesus, if you read about his life enough, what he does over and over again throughout the course of the Gospels is the hyper-Christian, or back in his day, the hyper-religious, his relationship with them was to challenge them. He was constantly challenging how they saw God, how they imagined religion and this relationship altogether. He was constantly trying to expand their understanding of who this God is. Then, the second category, the non-religious folks, the people who are like, yeah, I don't really get into all that business. The other thing Jesus tried to do with those folks is he wasn't trying to do like mass conversions with them. He was just trying to at least spark some curiosity, spark some intrigue. He would tell these parables to sort of get you to think a little bit about your own existence and the meaning of life and at least sort of get you involved in the conversation. And then thirdly and finally what he did is he found those people who were nominal, those people who were indifferent, those people who were like, yeah, I am a Christian, but I don't really, it doesn't really mean much to me and I hate even confessing that, but I don't really, it does not, it's not really an active part of my life. And Jesus lit them on fire. He showed them a version of faith that was worth giving your life to. So you want to create a positive impact? Think about how you can show up in your professional settings, relational settings, social settings, virtually, physically. Think about all the ways you can show up that do these three things to this world that really, really needs it. You want to jump in and join in the work Jesus is doing? Be that. Embody that. I'll give you a power exa powerful example of this that I just saw a couple weeks ago. So a couple weeks ago, um, any of you Late Show fans with Stephen Colbert? Am I the only, like, avid Stephen Colbert fan in the house? Okay. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, Stephen Colbert sat down with an interview with Dua Lipa. She's an artist. And they're having a conversation about a whole bunch of different stuff. And at one point in the interview, they switch roles. So Dua Lipa starts asking him questions. And if you don't know anything about Stephen Colbert, Stephen Colbert uh, is a devout Catholic, and, so, and he's been public about it, so he's shared about how his faith informs his life and his worldview. And... He's, and he's shared about it publicly on talk shows and things like that. So anyway, at one point in the interview, Dua Lipa sort of uh, switches the roles, and she says, so I'm just genuinely curious. You are a person of faith. You've been public and explicit about the role that your faith plays in your life. How do your faith and your comedy intercede together? How do they work together? How do they affect one another? 
And I want you to listen very, very carefully or read very, very carefully Colbert's response. This is what he says. He says, ultimately, I believe that death is not defeat. Okay, so in one sentence, he has preached the Christian gospel without saying the word Christian or Jesus or anything that might turn people off immediately to something that on the surface screams institutional religion that hurt them or burned them in some way. Ultimately, I believe death is not defeat. This is Easter. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. And you must understand and see this in the light of eternity. Because when you do that, you can find some way to love and laugh with each other. Now, in the aftermath of that, did he create like a huge spiritual revival and people just sort of like from the audience came down in droves to be converted and to give their lives to Jesus? No, no. But he did all three of those things we just talked about. I think he challenged the hyper-Christian to maybe see through some of the crude jokes and the sometimes, you know, uh, the humor that may or may not be uh, their particular, you know, preference to see someone who is trying to do good in the world, maybe in a different way, and trying to witness in a different way. I think secondly, and I hope this is the case, persons who watch his show and persons who get down with his comedy, so they meet him on that level, but they're not spiritual, they're not religious, I hope when they hear that, they go, huh, maybe there's something more that I've just been writing off with this whole faith thing. And thirdly and finally, I don't know about you and I don't know about the other people who watched it, but I remember when I watched it, this lit a fire in me. It lit a fire in me to think more creatively, more, more on, I want to be on purpose. I want to show up more on purpose. That helps point to and introduce and really join in the work that God is trying to do in the world. close here. Friends, there's no place uh, in Scripture where it's more clear uh, than in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel when it comes to our appearance, when it comes to how we show up in the world as to what God thinks. This is what God thinks. The Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or stature, he's talking about Saul, because I have selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into That's how God sees. And that's how we're called to see. And so what that means for your own life is that I would spend a lot less time trying to figure out what rules of what you can and cannot wear, how you, how you should and shouldn't show up. It seems to me like the main question that Jesus really cares about is make sure you always ask the question of why. Why? Does it matter so much that I appear in this certain way to this certain person, to this certain people group? Why? What's the heart behind that? And secondly, good gracious hallelujah, this not only applies to you, but this applies to how you engage with the people around you. 
can we please, can we just make a commitment here today, can we please resolve that this chapter, this era, this time in Christianity, this is going to be the one where we finally stop being the appearance police that judge everybody on outward appearances? Can we stop being people who don't do or don't let people through our doors based off of how they show up in those first couple seconds of our interaction? Can we please stop being the dads uh, on the progressive commercials? Have you seen this commercial, by the way? Have you seen this one? This is my absolute favorite. The guy walks in uh, with blue hair, and you can, you're watching like the two like get really uncomfortable, and the host in the middle is like, we all see it. We all see it. We all see it. And then you, and like just sort of like a chorus, they go, he's got blue hair, blue, blue, blue hair. He's got blue hair, blue hair. Can't help themselves. Have to say something. Have to see that, and that be the defining thing. It's funny, but sometimes for some people, this is how we come across in the world. And so let's just resolve that this is going to be the era of Christianity where we stop doing that and we be the people, we be the followers of Jesus who try to possess the eyes of God who are constantly working to three, see through the exterior, see through the exoskeleton of the person who is approaching you to see their heart. Because, God, you just never know. You just never know. If you actually do the work to see through and see into another person, you may just find someone who is desperately in need of your love, your compassion, your care. Or you may, in fact, just meet someone, encounter someone who is exactly what you need. And you would have never gotten it had you just passed them by based off of what image you saw first. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.